Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Whether uh, you're religious or irreligious, whether you're uh, conservative or liberal, uh, there is an agreement in our, in our culture, and that's hard. it's hard to find things we agree on. But there is an agreement that our culture is rapidly shifting. And though there are differing opinions on why we have seen this rapid shift and why it continues to unfold before our eyes, there is an agreement on the primary cause of this cultural shift, even amongst religious and secular, amongst the sociologists. And, and you may be surprised to, to hear what, this, what the common ground of cause is among these very different groups that have different beliefs. But they recognize this, that, that the, the primary cause of this rapid cultural shift that we see in our land Believe it or not, it's not because of the president. Uh, it's not because of the government. Uh, it's not because of the state. Uh, it's not because of the economy, good or bad. Uh, it's not because of immigration. The primary cause that you read about among differing groups on the reason that our culture is shifting so rapidly and somewhat declining is because of the decline of family. And it's interesting when you start to look at some of the articles and some of the statistics and things that are out there that connect the decline of the family with areas of cultural breakdown, it's, it's alarming. And so here is a text where Paul, in, in four very short verses, addresses this problem. It's nothing new. It was a problem in the first century, and it's a problem because of Genesis 3, because of sin and brokenness. But the question becomes, what's the answer then? If, if the family is breaking down, has broken down, what's the answer? And Paul gives the answer here with, with four commands and then a, a promise sandwiched right in the middle. If you look at verse 3, verse 3 is, is the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. This is a quote taken directly from Exodus 20, the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother with a promise. If I can paraphrase verse three, it's that you may flourish. That's the promise. There's commands and then there's the, so that you may flourish, so that families may flourish. So the question that Paul's answering here is what is the secret to a a flourishing family. Now, as I said last week, all of what we see here with marriages, family, next week, work relationships, all of this is flowing out of verse 18 in chapter five, which is be filled with the Spirit. And then what Paul is laying out here is a picture of what it looks like when people are filled with the Spirit. So when, when, when parents and children are filled with the Spirit, here's what the dynamics in a family can and, and will look like. So what, what are the, what's the secret to a flourishing family? First, spirit-filled children. 
you'll notice here that there's two commands given to children, and they actually address two categories of children. Young children who are still in the home, and then older children who are grown and outside the home. So let's start with young children in the house. Verse one, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Verse two, honor your father and mother, which is the fifth commandment. Now, why does Paul include both of those commands when addressing the role of a child towards his or her parent? The reason is because those commands, those two, address both behavior and the heart. You see, it's possible for a child to obey his parents or her parents and not honor her parents. Right, a, a, child, a, a child can do what her parents tell her to do, but with an awful attitude, right? Or with a roll of the eyes, or with a mumbling under the breath as she turns away. It's, it's possible to obey parents, but not honor them. What Paul's calling for here is both. In other words, you can, as a child, outwardly obey and inwardly rebel. And you can externally with your behavior obey, but inwardly you can rebel and disrespect and dishonor. What's called for here is obedience and respect, obey and honor. Now, let me just speak to the children here for a minute. I, re I recognize we're at this point in the service, mostly older children in the room um, or youth age children. But let me speak to you for a second. Imagine that you're at home, you are uh, texting on your phone to a friend. You are, uh, maybe you got your headphones on listening to music. Um, you are playing a video game, okay? And the President of the United States walks into your house. Now, what would you do? You'd stop texting. I hope you would. You'd take your headphones off. You'd quit playing the video game. And, and you, would, you would address the President of the United States. You'd look at him. Your family would get up. You'd say, hello. You'd greet him. You'd treat him with kindness and respect. The President's in the house. What Paul's saying here in the same way, children, you're to obey and respect your parents. Honor your parents. Now, now the question is why? And this is important because this drills down to the motivation of the heart. Why are you called to obey and honor your parents? Verse one, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Now, in that little phrase, for this is right, is loaded a ton on motivation. You obey and honor your parents not because you get what you want or not even ultimately just to make them happy. That the ultimate motivation for children obeying parents is this is right before the Lord. Uh, Colossians 3.20 says it this way more specifically. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. That the, the, the bottom line motivation for obedience and respect to parents is to please the Lord. If it's anything less than that, i.e. you get what you want, or just to make mom and dad happy, then your child is set up for conditional obedience and conditional respect. As long as they're getting those things, they will, but if they don't get those things, they won't. 
And not only that, that if parents, this is critical, if you teach your children to obey and honor you for any motivation less than to please the Lord, you're setting up your children to be one of two types of children. On the one hand, if you teach your children to obey and honor the Lord so that they get what they want, you're setting that child up to be a self-indulgent person that learns how to manipulate people to get what he or she wants. This is the pattern that will develop if that's the motivation you set before them all the time. They'll learn to manipulate to get what they want. Then they become an adult or they get out of the house and they use those techniques that have worked well in your house and they don't work so well in the world. Right? The world's not as compliant to their wishes. And so you have a child that grows up ultimately with a low level of anger right? because they can't, it doesn't work in the world like it's worked in the home. That's on the one hand. On the other hand, if your children are taught to obey and honor or respect just to make you happy, now that's, that's not a bad thing, okay, to please mom and dad, but if that's it, that's the ceiling, then you're setting your child up to be a, a people pleaser, an approval addict, right, that, that does that to, to, to get approval. And that child's gonna grow up insecure, lacking confidence, always kind of reaching for that because that was what they were trained with and, and the rhythm that was trained in them growing up. Right? The motivation has to be to please the Lord Jesus. That has to be the bottom line motivation for honor and respect. That's why motivation is so important. Yes, get them to obey and honor, but why? To please the Lord. It's the only way you're gonna produce uh, unconditional obedience and respect in your child. And the only way, and we'll see this in a, in a little bit later, that you're gonna set them up to succeed when they have that, that motivation. So Paul is speaking to young children who are still in the house. He's also, there's also a category here in what he's talking about that, that addresses not just young children in the house, but older children who are out of the house. Now, when we talk about this category, one of these commands doesn't apply anymore, right? Children obey your parents. Grown children out of the house don't obey their parents, okay? Leave and cleave, that, that is done. But what command does still apply is to honor your father and mother. That's why the, the Ten Commandments, the Fifth Commandment, is so broad. It addresses the four-year-old toddler and it addresses the 40-year-old adult that even as a grown child, you're called to honor your mother and your father. Jesus addresses this, Paul addresses it. And let me just take you to those two quick stories where they're addressed. Jesus addresses this kind of honor with the Pharisees in Mark 7, 9 through 13. In Mark 7, he says this, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. And anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is Corbin, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition 
that you have handed down. Let me tell you what's happening here. The Pharisees had come up with this system. If you pledged money to the temple, if you made a pledge to the temple that you were free from having to care for your parents, even if you didn't fulfill the pledge to the temple, you were still off the hook to care for your parents. So you see how this could work, right? If you had aging parents who were out of money uh, and financially in great need, the way to get out of caring for them was to say, I'm pledging to the temple. And even if you didn't fall through on that, you were free. And Jesus, as he is great in doing throughout the gospels, reads through the religious game and ultimately the selfishness of the heart and says, no, this is a violation of the fifth commandment. That's dishonor and disrespect. Paul picks it up, same kind of idea in 1 Timothy 5, starting in verse three. He says, honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worth worse than an unbeliever. You see, the way that grown children honor, not obey, but honor their parents and their aging parents is to, is tangible acts of thanksgiving, which take on emotional and financial support. Now, you say, you say, but Keith, you don't understand the situation. My parents are ornery, mildly abusive with their words. They don't want my help. They're stubborn. If they don't want my help and they're not appreciative of my help, why would I give it to them? And I would just say in a very practical sense, there was a time in your life as an infant, as a toddler, maybe even as an adolescent, when you were very unappreciative of your parents. Didn't want their help, didn't want their care. What did they do? They provided for you, they sacrificed for you. Even when you said, I don't want it, and you were maybe mildly abusive with your words. You see, the call to honor is not, not do your parents respond or not. It's the call to honor your parents and to respect your parents. Ultimately, because the motivation is the same of what I just talked about, to please the Lord. Not ultimately to please your parents, that may be part of it, but what if they're unpleasable? You're stuck if you're working on that motivation. But if you're working on the motivation that I am going to please the Lord, and the Lord says it twice in his scriptures, the importance of this, then I'm gonna do it to honor Jesus Christ and ultimately to honor my parents. So the secret to a flourishing family is spirit-filled children, both young children in the house and grown children that are out of the house. Second, secret to a flourishing family, spirit-filled parents. Paul doesn't stop with just children. He addresses parents. Verse four, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, Paul is addressing parents here, but he does single out fathers. People say, why does he single out fathers here? 
there could be a couple of reasons. One, it may be that fathers are more prone to provoke to anger. I think there's some truth to that. The other is that he's just gotten done in the previous passage saying that fathers are head of the household. Fathers are ultimately responsible for the spiritual well-being of their families. And so Paul addresses the head of the household here. But clearly, this is a command that addresses parents, fathers and mothers. So what does it mean, Paul starting in the negative, to not provoke your children to anger? What does it mean to provoke your child to anger? It means to to infuriate them, to frustrate them, uh, to make them resentful. You say, well, how in the world do I do that? I wanna explore two ways that I believe parents provoke their children to anger. The first way is what I'll, as an umbrella, call over-discipline, okay, over-discipline. Uh, over-discipline, micromanaging, uh, abuse of authority, all those are a variation of, of the same thing. Over-discipline, what's that to have excessive discipline? Number of ways this can happen, but let me, let me address a specific way I think it can happen. Um, you discipline your child not because they have disobeyed or disrespected, but more out of a, a personality issue. You might have two children that are completely different, and you may choose to discipline the one because you want this one to look more like the other. And so it's possible to over-discipline in a way that actually stifles the child. Stifles the child and stifles how God has made them to be. Okay, so excessive discipline. Uh, micromanaging, what does that look like? Again, a number of possibilities here. One could be this. Uh, your child is playing with a toy in the house on the floor or on the table, and you look at that toy and go, wow, that, that may scratch the floor, or that may scratch the table. And so you tell them to stop. They get frustrated, right? They cry, they get frustrated. Now, this is, this is delicate here. On the one hand, we're called to steward what God has given us, right? So you don't give your child a screwdriver and say, have at it on the wood floor. Just go, go for it. I don't wanna micromanage you. I'm not talking about that. But what I am talking about is, and this is a heart issue, that when you love your stuff more than you love your child, and you micromanage your child out of your love for your stuff, you're gonna provoke them. You're gonna provoke them, you're gonna frustrate them, and rightly so, they should be frustrated, right? Because you're operating out of this love for stuff more than your love for them. That, that's a... That's an example of how micromanaging can happen. The third, abuse of authority. What would that look like? Your teenager asks you why he can't do X, whatever it is. And you say, because I said so. Every time your teenager asks that question, you say, because I said so. Your read of their question, which is a read of disrespect and dishonor, is actually them at their age starting to work out the reasoning skills that God has given them. That they really do need a reason and an answer, and that's not disrespect or dishonor. That's just them, they're not four years old anymore. Right? They're a teenager. They're growing in their reasoning. And a lot of times that answer ultimately is, 
arises out of potentially your own insecurity, that you really don't have a good answer, that you don't have a good answer of why. Why am I telling him not to do that? I don't know, but I'm just gonna throw my authority out there and say, don't ask. When your child really needs an answer, there needs to be a good reason, and you help disciple them as you share what the reason is. So, so over-discipline. Let me just sum it up by a quote one author writes, and I think it's really good. He says, what is Paul ruling out here with provoking your child to anger? Excessively severe discipline, unreasonably harsh demands, abuse of authority, arbitrariness, unfairness, constant nagging and condemnation, subjecting a child to humiliation, and all forms of gross insensitivity to a child's needs and sensibilities. So there's a, there's a provoking your child to anger through over-discipline, but that's not the only way. There's another way you can provoke your child to anger, and that is under-discipline. That is indulging your child, giving them what they want, giving in all the time, creating entitlement in them so that there's no boundaries. And you say, well, how does that produce anger? And actually, well, in the house, if you always give in, you're not gonna get much anger. You're gonna get a happy child because they really, they rule the roost. They do whatever they want. The problem is the anger shows up outside the house when they go to school and the teacher doesn't give in to them and the teacher doesn't indulge them and the teacher doesn't let them do whatever they want. And so that child in that environment is gonna start to what? Lose their temper and have tantrums and erupt and your child's gonna be, you're gonna get phone calls about discipline issues. Why? Because that child has been under discipline. And so the result when they don't get what they want is anger. They're provoked to anger by your lack of discipline. So if neither over-discipline nor under-discipline is the answer, then what is the answer? And this is where Paul gets into the positive prescription in verse four. What does he say? But bring them up in the, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What does bring them up mean? The word actually means to nourish. It's the same word that appears in the text we looked at last week in chapter five, verse 29, when Paul says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So just as Jesus nourishes the church, parents, you're called to nourish your child to bring them up, to nourish them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That that's the call that's placed on you. I want you to consider the, this picture. Mama bird okay, is at the nest and she's feeding her little young babies in the nest. And she goes off to get food. She comes back and those little babies' mouths open. They're waiting for a worm. She drops it in and she, she keeps doing that, right? As a, as a mama bird. What's her goal? Well, her goal is to strengthen these little baby birds and to grow them to the point that they can fly out of the nest. That that's the goal, to get them to that point, to fly out of the nest, to leave the nest. And so parents, you're called to nourish your child with the word, to teach them, to discipline them, to instruct them so that they don't need you one day that they can stand on their own two feet, that they're brought up 
so that they can leave the nest. That's the goal. Now, let me get back to under-discipline and over-discipline. Neither of those arrive at that place. Under-discipline or over-indulgence produces a child that is too dependent on his parents. Uh, Over-discipline produces a child typically that grows up angry with her parents. You say, well, wait a minute. That'll push them out of the nest quick. It does. I mean, sometimes a child will leave early from the home or a child leaves and is like, I am out of here. I'm so angry with my parents. I've been over-disciplined. I'm out of here, right? And you say, well, that, that seems to be independents that are on their own two feet. Not really. Uh, a pastor was handing out vacation Bible school invitations in his neighborhood for a, a VBS that was at his church that summer. And he was going around, he got to one house and the father answered the door. And so this pastor said, hey, we're having a VBS, um, you know, bring your children. And this father got somewhat angry. And he, and he looked at this pastor, he said, I will never force my child to go to church because my dad growing up always forced me to go to church. Now, there was a father already with his own children who was controlled by his dad. You see that? He was, he was controlled by his dad. He was so angry with his dad and how he had been raised that he wasn't standing on his own two feet. He was still controlled by his dad. And so under discipline, over discipline, neither of those bring a child up to leave the nest and stand on their own two feet. And yet that's what Paul is prescribing here, is to bring them up in the Discipline instruction of the Lord so that they can stand on their own two feet. Now you say, what is the key to not over-disciplining or under-disciplining your children? Recognizing that we're sinful parents, okay? And so every, every one of you probably now, and as I was thinking and preparing, I'm thinking, Am I, what do I, where do I fall? Do I under-discipline? Do I over-discipline? What does it mean to bring my child up, All right? What are the keys to not over-controlling or under-controlling? To get at that question, you have to understand why you do those extremes, right? Why do you under-discipline your child? Why do you over-indulge your child? Typically, under-discipline is, is, is the result of uh, you loving your child's or longing for your child's love and approval too much, Right, a parent that will under-discipline typically wants their child to love and like them so much that they wouldn't do anything to upset them. Now, on the other hand, over-discipline, what, what's, what's going on there? Well, it can be the same. Instead of longing for your child's love, over-discipline can be you longing for everyone else's love. Right? I want everyone to know how great of a parent I am and how well-behaved my children are. So I'm gonna be way over the top on discipline because I want them to think well of me. You see what's happening there. It's still approval, it's just not your child's approval, it's everyone out there's approval. The other way or the other reason for over-discipline is you wanting to live your life through your child or, or live vicariously through the success of your child. Uh, if you've seen the movie Friday Night Lights, that movie about the Odessa High School football team, and in that movie, you'll remember there was a father who would come down really hard on his son. His son was one of the football players. 
and he wanted his son to succeed. And whenever his son failed on the football field, he would almost, he'd march out onto the field and he'd start to abuse him verbally and even somewhat physically. Why? Because this father, and in the movie, he's portrayed as an alcoholic. He can't keep a job. He's, right, he was trying to prove his worth through his son and through his son's football career. And that resulted in excessive discipline over discipline. So those are the reasons why we tend towards both extremes. Now, understanding those reasons, what's the solution? It's to understand that, that Jesus Christ is the true son who lost the love of his father so that you could get the love of the father. And so that all the things that you may be looking for through the way that you raise your children, uh, approval, affirmation, could be success, security, pleasure, all those things that you are looking for through your children and the way that you raise your children can only be found in Jesus. And when you find those or those are satisfied in Jesus Christ, who's the true son, who lost the love of his father so that you could have his love, then you will be freed up to love your children in a way that is bringing them up, nourishing them to stand on their own two feet. And they don't become the means by which you try to find those things. They can only be found in the Lord. Or children, with parents. If you're finding uh, pleasure and affirmation and approval and security, if you're finding all of that in Jesus, then you won't look to your parents to be that, where you're either too dependent on your parents or you get really angry because your parents fail, which every parent will because we're all sinful. Jesus Christ was the true son who lost the love of his father so that you could get the love of the father and actually love your children and love your parents the way that he's prescribing and calling for you to do so. Let's pray. Father, it's amazing as we are in this section of the scripture in Ephesians where there's so many commands in, in our human relationships. And yet all of these commands are flowing out of what we read and studied in Ephesians 1 through 3, that when we're sitting under the lavish love of you, Father, when we recognize that all of our needs are met in Jesus, that these commands become a possibility. And so, Father, we pray that you would root us deeply in your son, Jesus, and in his love, that we would be freed up to love our children well, to love our parents well, to not provoke to anger, to not disrespect, to not disobey. And Father, we recognize as we turn to the Lord's Supper, you nourish us. And this meal you have given us, Jesus, that you instituted, is a meal to nourish our souls so that we can then turn around and nourish one another, and nourish our children, and even nourish and honor our parents. So Father, as we come to this meal, would you, would you make this by your Spirit a moment where we do receive nourishment 
from you, Jesus, through these elements, but in a supernatural, spiritual way that you have promised to work in and through this meal. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.